Hello and welcome to a spooky Halloween episode of the Bitten Word <laughs> Podcast. I'm Christine. And I'm Ashley. Apparently, I don't know how to spell my name because I spelled <laughs> it wrong here, and it is it is wrong on my Google autofill. So really, like, it, yes, it's it's like Christine. Oh, hi, kid. <laughs> um, yes, so it's spelled wrong on my autofill, and so I'm constantly having to change. Change it. That's annoying. I know. It's like word or letters just get transposed. Well, that's like me. I was I was just buying something from Old Navy this morning online, but I only buy things from Old Navy like once a year when I need Christmas pajamas. And we move so much that like it never knows my address. Oh. I always have to change it. It's really annoying. That's how it is on my Amazon whenever I send you stuff. I have like a backlog of like eight years yeah. of, of addresses. I know. <laughs> okay. So today we're talking about the absolute classic horror novel, Dracula, mm-hmm. and the chicken paprikash featured in the first chapter of that book. Um, this episode was, I think, suggested by our friend Dean over at the Well-Seasoned Librarian. So you guys should go over there and listen to his podcast. Also, he has an old episode where he interviewed us. So you can go listen to That's that too. True. <laughs> um, so thank you, Dean, for the suggestion. Also, when we were doing the interview with Dean, he told me that he was goth in the 90s. So I kind of love yeah. the idea of him sitting around like in full goth makeup, like reading Dracula. It's a total vibe. <laughs> so you should do that, Dean. <laughs> yes. Dracula was written by Bram Stoker in 1897. Okay, it's written in an epistolary. Is that how you would say that? Epis- epistolary? Epistolary. I think Mary, maybe that is how I've sense. heard it. Yes, that would make more sense. Okay, so it's written in a in an epistolary style, which means that the narrative is conveyed through a series of letters and diary entries from different characters. Um, we have a lot of main protagonists, but the story opens with Jonathan Harker on a business trip in Romania. So he's a solicitor, and he's going to meet Count Dracula to help him acquire some property in England. Um, suffice it to say that Jonathan figures out that Dracula is a vampire, and escapes his castle where he's being held ha- held captive. Um, and it's and really then- creepy and it's actually really like awesome. It is. <laughs> that like, that's, whole the part. Best, that's the best part of the book is that I agree. whole beginning part. Um, eventually, though, Dracula makes his way to England and death and vampire hunting ensues. So if you've been listening for a while, you might remember that I listed Dracula as one of my top five books of the first half of 2022. Um, as far as classics and horror novels go, this is like a really well-crafted story. Yeah. Um, it might be worth grabbing an abridged version, though, because as with yes. classic stories, it can be like long-winded and overly detailed. About but the story is things, yes, like sewer systems in Les Mis. Yeah, <laughs> what are we talking about here? Um, but the story is very interesting, or like the never-ending whale details in Moby Dick. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It just, it does. It gets a little long winded into some details about like the hunting and about like women's place in society. And like, I don't know, just all kinds of stuff that is like, this has no bearing on the story whatsoever. Why are we talking about this? But particularly this opening chapter where Jonathan meets Dracula is really good. Um, If you listen to an audiobook that has like ambient sounds and music, this can be like very creepy and fun for Halloween. Those exist. Yes, because no, the one I listened to this time was not like that. But the last time I tried to listen to it, I got one that was like that. And it had like Hmm. wind noises and stuff. Wolves howling and stuff. Yeah, Yeah. it was cool. It was it was creepy. And I got creeped out. So it was fun. (laughs) 
Um, so Bram Stoker took over a hundred pages of notes when researching for this book. Um, he drew extensively from Transylvanian folklore and history, hmm. um, which I feel like is pretty good for like a novel that was written in like the 19th century. You know, he wasn't yeah. making crap up. Yeah. I mean, he probably was just making crap up, but. So well, yeah, well, it's interesting, though, because I would be curious to know how much of it actually is from Transylvanian folklore and how much of it he added in, because this version of Dracula is like our version of Dracula. He kind of streamlined it into what we know about Dracula yeah. now. Yes. Well, Dracula as a character did not exist before this, um, yeah. but he did create like the modern version of vampires yeah like how like garlic and yeah you know stakes through the heart and all that business yeah and we'll talk a little bit about that um but yes this is like and there there were other vampire novels before this but this was like the quintessential vampire novel um so apparently he he chose the name dracula because he saw it in a public library and erroneously thought it meant devil in romanian but okay. Like he, he found it in a library in England, so I'm uncertain why he thought it meant devil, much less like devil in Romanian specifically. Because he's making crap up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for those of you who aren't aware, Transylvania is actually a real place in Romania. And that's where this at least first part of this book takes place. Um we had a conversation about how this novel was received when it was first written. Um, because you were asking like did people think it was scary you know or or what was it a little over the top because some of the some of the scenes are like even today I was just like whoa that's like super intense you know just the violence of it and the the fact that um, people with really close relationships had to hurt people who are now vampires and you know just it's it's very much like a novel I feel like would be today yeah well, and I mean, I think that's kind of just a hallmark of like gothic literature, though. I mean, even back yeah. then, because like because um, Frankenstein was written in 1818. So like yeah. almost a century before like, this was written. I, I don't I haven't read Frankenstein for a while, but I did read it several times in over the course of my schooling. And I feel like it was less violent and a little bit more psychological and ethical in nature um creepy for sure but i mean i don't know i just felt like this was a little bit more graphic maybe yes i think you're right i don't i don't think frankenstein is as graphic as this is but it did deal with like body horror i mean he was digging up corpses and making a person out of multiple body parts right yeah and so i and i mean that was very like i don't know if taboo is the right word but I think that was very shocking, like for an yeah. audience. Um, oh, by the way, this is a good time <laughs> now that we've talked about this. Um, to just put a general disclaimer on this episode that we might get not graphic, but we might get into some territory where it gets a little dark. So I mean, if you're squeamish about violence or or blood or things blood. like that, maybe yeah. uh, <laughs> maybe maybe don't listen to this one. Um but it is a Halloween episode. Yes, it is a Halloween episode. That's our disclaimer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so I was reading that this book was positively reviewed by people who thought that it had like an effective use of horror. 
mm-hmm. but negatively reviewed by others who thought it was excessively frightening. Interest excessively frightening. Yes. <laughs> excessively <laughs> fond of a cottage. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but I mean, I thought that was kind of interesting because I feel like that's what you hear today, right? Yeah. Is yeah. people who are being like, this is a really great, well-crafted horror movie and people being like, it was over the top. It didn't need to be that violent. It was too scary, mm-hmm. you know? And so yeah. like, and so I think if there, if that's the reception, like no one's saying it's crappy, it wasn't scary and everyone's saying it's scary. I liked it. It's scary. I don't like it. Then I feel like yeah. it's fallen into like, an area of like it's a good horror genre because it scared people yeah exactly um so even though it was met though with critical acclaim it really didn't make him any money when he was alive but since its publication it has never been out of print really yeah that's wow that's quite an achievement yes so i mean it's over 100 years old but isn't that the way it always goes you make all the money after you die yeah well I'll um, I'll talk about this in a minute, but it sounds like maybe it was partially his fault that he didn't make any oh, no. money off of it. <laughs> okay, so apparently Bram Stoker was well known for writing sensation novels, and in his obituary it said that he wrote only to sell. So that kind of gives us a framework, mm. I feel like, for why he'd be writing about vampires. Okay, interesting. Um, But something I thought was interesting was that when this book was published, it was compared to the works of other famous Gothic writers, including Poe. He was called the Edgar Allan Poe of the 90s. 1890s. (laughs) That's amazing. I I love it. Um, Anne Radcliffe, the Bronte sisters, and Mary Shelley. So I feel like we think of Bram Stoker as being like an OG of gothic and horror fiction, but he was actually standing on the shoulders of these other like literary giants. Many yeah. which were women, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. In I think it was like the 1870s or something like that. Uh, Emily Girard wrote a collection of Transylvanian folklore called The Land Beyond the Forest and also an essay called Transylvania Superstitions. Um, Bram Stoker was inspired by these works and where he mm. and that's where he initially read about vampires for the first gotcha. time. So this book is where... Oh, so something interesting about this book is that this is where we in the English-speaking word hear the first reference to Nosferatu. Oh, Really? Yes, and I guess Nosferatu means vampire in Romanian. Interesting. Okay. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, neither did I. So I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, if you've never heard of Nosferatu, run to your TV. Um, <laughs> Nosferatu was the name of the vampire in the original vampire movie Nosferatu from 1922. This movie was made before the Dracula movie in the 1930s. Um, so when it or so when it comes to like vampires in cinema Nosferatu is the original and I feel like he stands out for being like a scary otherworldly vampire Mm -hmm. as opposed to like the sexy variety popularized by Bela Lugosi as Dracula yeah so which is interesting how did that happen I don't know like where did I just I'm wondering like how like is it just because they like suck blood from your neck and they're like ooh, that's kind of sexy and so they like recreated him as a sexy creature i mean when they talk about dracula in the book they're never like he's super sexy but they do talk about him as have i mean like he's gross but he's like charming yes 
but charm but he still like puts people off yeah that's true you know like they even though he's charming they're like ew his fingers are gross or like you know stuff like that and so nobody ever is like attracted to him they do say the women are like that though yeah in the book the the female vampires they talk about being like particularly some of the women in the book who like or Lucy, I guess, who turns into a vampire. Um, she, they talk about her as a vampire being like sensuous and voluptuous and all yeah. these things that she wasn't in life because she was a good, sweet girl, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I wonder if that is just like creative license because like, like because the women are like that, maybe they figured like, you know, nobody is enticed by Dracula if he's gross. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he's, like, drinking their blood to, like, appear younger. That's true. You know, like, so, I don't know. Yeah. But this brings me to a random question, which is, who's the sexiest vampire in cinema? Ooh. I don't know. Okay. I have never actually seen Interview with a Vampire, but I'm kind of inclined to say Brad Pitt. No. <laughs> Just because I think Brad Pitt's pretty sexy. Um but really? I'm trying to think, like, who else? I, I'm like, my brain is like just going to Leslie Nielsen here <laughs> as a vampire. <laughs> so I'm yes. like, well, that's it's, not it. That's it. It's Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to think who we who do we have? So we have Leslie Nielsen yep. in Dracula, Dead and Loving It. We've got Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in Interview with a Vampire, and right. you can't forget Antonio Banderas. What was he a vampire in? Was he an interview, in with, interview a with a vampire? Yeah. Oh, well, maybe he wins then, depending on how pasty Brad Pitt looks. Pretty pasty. Um, yeah. Not as pasty as Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, obviously. Um, you have Richard wife. Roxburgh and Van Helsing. Bella Lugosi is the original Dracula. You've got Christopher yeah. Lee in like the 50s Dracula. Oh, Gary was that Oldman. Christopher Lee? Yeah, yeah. Gary Oldman's not not handsome though i just no, i'm not i'm just i'm just putting them all out there yeah well <laughs> why can't i think of his name what's his name edward oh uh, you mean um robert pattinson yes robert i was pattinson. thinking i was like sitting here trying to think of dracula's and i was like i don't know <laughs> well no you because did you say yes. dracula or did no you say i said vampire. vampire okay um he doesn't count even though i think he's handsome uh but... gerard butler in dracula 2000 oh really yeah oh i've never seen that movie though well out of those options i think that i would be probably probably still inclined to say brad pitt just because i think out of all those people he to me is the sexiest but maybe bella lugosi would be up there a little bit so my top contenders were richard roxburgh and van helsing which i've really- never seen it i don't know who that is I don't, so I didn't know his name either, but then when I looked him up, he was in a lot of stuff I had seen and I just didn't recognize him. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like his like mannerisms and his personality though in Van Helsing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Antonio Banderas as Armand in an Interview with the Vampire is pretty sexy. Okay. Um, I, I will concede that because I've never seen the movie. Because I've never seen Interview with the Vampire, it's quite possible. And you know what? I just saw that on prime or somewhere there's a new series of interviews i saw that too i really want to read the book now because i'm like if that has food in it we can do it on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) he's very um 
sultry and kind of a feminine way honestly mm. um antonio banderas yeah hmm that doesn't it's, that's it's, weird because that doesn't very... strike me as him and then my other one would have to be jermaine clement in what we do in the shadows which i feel like i'm not allowed to say because it's not a serious vampire movie <laughs> but it's still vampires it is yeah uh, he is a vampire and that movie is really funny i haven't um, seen that movie either I'm sending you. I'm like sending you pictures. You, you sent me Antonio Banderas, and I went, "What?" <laughs> like I wouldn't have even recognized him. Yes, the pictures don't do it justice, though. I mean, you got to see him like in the movie and the way he acts. Yeah, I can see what you mean, though, just from the picture about like the feminine energy. Yes, like he he looks really young. He doesn't even look like himself. Yes, I feel he, like everybody's really young in this movie. You know who else is in this movie? Is um is Kirsten Dunst Dunst, and she's like 10. Oh, is that Jermaine Clements? Yes, that's Jermaine Clements. (laughs) I don't remember what his name is in the movie, but moving on from sexy vampires, um, (laughs) let us know who your favorite sexy vampire in in vampire cinema is. Um, Okay, so let's hear what Emily Gerard has to say about vampires. Um, she says that there are two ways you can become, and this is all according to like Transylvanian folklore as she wrote about it in her book. Um, there are two ways that you can become a vampire. One is a very is the very classic method of you can be killed by an Osferatu and then you also become one. The other way is to be an illegitimate child of illegitimate children. What? So like, sorry, you guys, but some of you are vampires. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> I don't get it either. I'm like, maybe I missed some context or something, but like, that was maybe all that, I got out of it. Maybe that was just like the horror story that parents told in order to teach morals and this maybe. will happen to you if you have an illegitimate child, you know, I yeah, don't know. Maybe you will become a vampire. But according to her book, Nosferatu's uh, drink blood and can be killed by opening their coffins and driving a stake through their hearts, which is a very, you know, like vampire cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can fire a pistol into the coffin, which honestly sounds like the easier of the two options. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> then you don't um, even have to face the thing. No. So... But to confine a vampire, you can walk smoking around the grave on each anniversary of their death. Like smoking a cigar? I don't know. I'm I don't know. But but the thing is that like when I read that, the way that she said it's not like smoke while walking around. She said walk smoking, which I'm imagining is like someone with a jacket that's on fire or something. <laughs> imagining somebody physically like their body is is smoking yeah that's weird my favorite part of the book with that was like he was like trapping vampires or making the the boxes of dirt unusable by putting a sacramental wafer on it (laughs) (laughs) that's okay that was easy um she also says that in very this is a direct quote very obstinate cases of vampirism (laughs) is recommended and here's here's your uh, trigger warning it is recommended to cut off the head replace it in the coffin with the mouth filled with garlic or to extract the head and burn it stringage ashes over the grave 
I'm I want to know though what constitutes a very obstinate case of vampires. <laughs> like, because that's what they did for every vampire in the book. Yeah. Was cut off their head and stuff their mouthful of garlic and then put I it just, back in there. I'm just imagining they stake them through the heart and they're like, sorry, bro, I don't work for me. Yeah. Like, obstinate case of vampirism. <laughs> they just get up anyway. <laughs> um but yeah, so let's talk about inspiration here. So it's commonly accepted that Bram Stoker was inspired by Vlad the Impaler while writing mm-hmm. Dracula. Um, he's also known as Vlad the Third or Vlad Dracula, which may be where he got the name. Um, so was it that Bram Stoker was um, was inspired by Vlad or was it that the uh, Transylvanian folklore was inspired by Vlad? No, I think the Transylvania folklore is separate from Vlad. Okay. Um, because as, like, because Vlad the Impaler was a real person. Yeah. Um, But I don't think the, like, v- like, the stuff that people attribute to him as, like, being vampire like as a being a vampire mm-hmm. started happening until like after Dracula came out. And so people say gotcha. that like Vlad the Impaler inspired Dracula, but it sounds like Dracula inspired the vampire version of Vlad the Impaler. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but Vlad uh the Impaler was the I looked this up and it said Voivode, and I don't think that's the right way to say this, but the Voivode of Wallachia um, which was the <laughs> geographic precursor to Romania. And Voivode is just like a ruler. Um, so something I thought was interesting was that he's considered the like a national hero of Romania. Hmm. I always assumed people were like afraid of him and that he was like yeah. a warlord or something, but apparently that's not the case. Hmm. Um so he lived in in like around 1448 i think that's when he was born and at this time there was a lot of warring happening in this part of europe and during one conflict vlad was fighting with transylvanian saxons who supported his political opponents so he invaded the villages taking the saxons with him back to wallachia and he impaled them which is where he got the moniker vlad the impaler Mm -hmm. um but i guess like wallachia ended up like um combining with another like small territory and that that's what became like modern day romania mm-hmm. um and i guess that like this i guess in history it's viewed as him just like protecting his his throne and and also like his territory so hmm. he's like known as a national hero um and he's like the most well-known ruler in like romanian history interesting um but raymond t mcnally disagrees and he does not think (laughs) Vlad the Impaler was the inspiration for Dracula and instead wrote a book called Dracula was a woman about Elizabeth Bathory oh okay yeah so if you don't know who that is she was a Hungarian countess who was accused of um, here's another trigger warning for you accused of killing hundreds of girls and women from 1590 to 1610 and it's hotly debated whether or not Elizabeth Bathory actually committed these crimes or if they were exaggerated um, mm-hmm. some people say that it was like a witch hunt and some people say that there were over 300 witnesses who could describe physical evidence and descriptions of dead and dying girls. So, um, so no one really knows, but it sounds like maybe it was exaggerated. 
Um, But years after her death, people started saying that she bathed in the blood of young women to retain her youth. And that's Mm -hmm. why people call her like the blood countess or Countess Dracula. And that's where like, you know, that aspect of like Dracula drinks blood to maintain his youth. Like that's, I guess, where they thought that uh, inspiration came from. Um, that being said, in Bram Stoker's very expensive, extensive notes about Romania and vampires, there's no mention of either Vlad the Impaler or Elizabeth Bathory. So it's actually pretty unlikely that either of these people were the inspirations for Dracula. That's interesting. Um, Dracula, the story, though, has been adapted over 700 times for film, TV, video games and animation and over 1000 times in comic books and on stage. Um, and this wow. guy... No, that's a lot. Um, this guy, Roberto Fernandez Redemar, deemed Count Dracula, along with characters like Frankenstein's monster, Mickey Mouse, and Superman, to be part of the hegemonic, excuse me, Anglo-Saxon world cinema cinematic fodder. So I that guess that was a lot of weird words going it, together. <laughs> it was. So Anglo-Saxon world's cinematic fodder. So it just sounds like he's just one of the most popular characters in the yeah. world. For people to um, draw on. Yes. And you know across- who we forgot? Who? We forgot Blade. Oh, yeah. Wesley Snipes. I've never actually seen Blade, though. I haven't either. But they're doing a new Blade for the Marvel. Oh, for yeah. MCU. They are. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that. I'm sure there's a lot that we haven't mentioned. There were a lot oh, of vampires. 700 in- adaptations. Yes. And a lot of those are going to be in film. So, yeah. Yes. We, we've missed a bunch. So even more reason for you to come tell us who is the sexiest vampire indisputably because we obviously missed them yes um we also miss a lot of vampires in twilight so i mean that's just (laughs) they don't count none of them count (laughs) (laughs) they count to someone (laughs) i guess that's true um let's see oh but apparently across the world new adaptations can be produced as often as every week wow oh that's crazy. Um, it's thought, though, that part of the success of the character, and this is where it's probably his fault that he didn't make any money off of this, is that Bram Stoker failed to correctly obtain copyright for it. Ooh. So it's always been in the public domain. So people don't have ah. to pay royalties to use it. And that's why that's part of why it's so like well adapted. That is fascinating because then it would have only been in the public domain for the last like 30 years. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So anyway, there's your lots of history about vampires and Dracula. Um, so it's time for us to talk about the scene. So we open Dracula seeing Jonathan Harker traveling through Romania to see Dracula on business. He stops for the night and is served a dish of chicken paprikash. And the scene says, we left in pretty good time and came after nightfall to Klausenberg. Here I stopped for the night at the Hotel Royale. I had for dinner or rather supper because there's a huge difference. Yep. <laughs> if you're a hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> A chicken done up some way with red pepper, which was very good, but thirsty. And then in parentheses, memo, or memorandum, probably. Get this recipe for Mina. I asked the waiter, and he said it was called paprika hendel, and that as it was a national dish, it should be able to get it anywhere along the Carpathians. I love this, because he's like, I need this recipe. Get it for my fiancé. Yeah. (laughs) Um... 
I like this scene, though, because I'm not really sure how to classify this food. I was thinking kind of comfort food, but I feel like it's comfort food in retrospect. Like, so this is like sort of the last good thing to happen to Jonathan before he goes to Dracula's castle. Everything that happens after this is like filled with dread and certain death and danger and fear. And everyone tries to warn him to stay away. And they're all terrified because they mm-hmm. know what Dracula is. Um, it's worth noting that he does eat at Dracula's castle and he says the food is good. But the whole time he's there, it's like there's this very potent sense of foreboding over the whole thing. Yeah. And it's like very disconcerting and it makes it hard to focus on the food or like any creature comforts afforded by Dracula's castle. And there are many. I mean, he's got like a library, Mm -hmm. his bedroom's really nice. Um, But I feel like it makes the chicken paprikash sort of like a safe harbor. Um, It's like this is the country peasant food that offers him more comfort and protection than does an entire feast offered by the off-putting and creepy Count Dracula. Yeah. Um, And so it's like looking back, it's like the chicken paprikash that I ate last night that feels like it was, you know, thousands of years away because of the horrors I'm experiencing now. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a little bit indicative of he's like on an adventure and it's his first big gig and he's going out and doing this thing and it's new and it's exciting. And, and then it all goes to poop. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So, um, chicken paprikash paprikash the uh hindsight is 2020 comfort dish yes <laughs> um so the first published recipe for chicken paprikash appeared in 1830 um it originated in southern hungary which i guess is like pepper country um where all the peppers hmm. are grown Interesting. Um, in the late 19th century hungary experienced a national awakening in which Hungarian customs, culture, and food were celebrated, and chicken paprikash moved away from being just like a country peasant dish to being like a, in modern restaurants in Hungary and then eventually mm-hmm. in Western Europe. Cool. Um, so it's similar to its sister dish, goulash, which uses beef instead of oh, chicken. okay. Yeah, but also uses a lot of paprika. Yeah. And it's traditionally served with dumpling-like egg noodles called nokedli. Um, and supposedly this originated as a dish to use up older, tougher chickens past their prime, similar to cocovan. That seems like all peasant dishes, right? Well, all the delicious sense. peasant dishes are developed because they're like, well, I got leftover hard bread. What am I going to do with this? You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that makes sense, though, because it's like if your entire livelihood is like this chicken lays eggs, you know? Yeah. And it's like yeah. I can sell them and I can eat them. And then suddenly they stop laying and they're old. Then it's like, well, I guess we're eating Betsy tonight, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> throw some paprika in there. Um, interestingly, while the paprika peppers used to make paprika are considered like holy Hungarian and they're huge producers of paprika, the paprika pepper is actually native to Mexico. And really, um, yeah, which makes sense, right? Because Mexico produces like hundreds of varieties All of the pepper. peppers. Yeah. yeah. Um, or like at least Central and South America. Um, but it's made its way to Hungary in the 17th century. And I mean, the name tells you how much Hungarians knew about peppers at this point, because paprika literally means pepper in Hungarian. Interest- yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And it sounds like it's more of like an adopted word than like an originally Hungarian word, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like pimiento, pepper, paprika. Yeah. Um, but... I, that always that always makes me laugh when countries are like known for something like Ireland is known for potatoes, but it's like I like potatoes are not native to Ireland. <laughs> yeah, like, they're native to what like Argentina, and so the, 
That is really interesting because I would, I would more associate paprika with like Eastern European dishes than I would with Mexican dishes. Not that they don't exist and it doesn't exist, but I would think the flavors of like cumin and chili powder and things like that taste more Latin to me Mm -hmm. than paprika does necessarily. Yeah. And so I think it's, yeah, it's just the specific flavor profile of of paprika. And what's interesting Mm -hmm. to me too, is that like, presumably they did not just come with only paprika peppers, right? They came with like lots of peppers and they were like, we only like this one. Because it's not very good. Our entire national heritage on this pepper. (laughs) Yeah. So apparently there's like 10 different kinds of paprika pepper, though, and they range from like sweet to really spicy. Yeah. Well, you can buy different kinds, you know, sweet. And I think you can even buy like a spicy version of paprika, regular paprika, smoked paprika, which I don't really like. Me neither. I just don't like smoked things. Like, I liked smoked barbecue. And I don't like smoked cheese. Or I like- do. Like smoked Gouda in particular, I really like. Smoked cheddar can be good too. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, with that, it is time to try our chicken paprikash. You tried yours already. I did. I had mine for dinner a couple of nights ago. I have not tried mine yet. So, Yeah, Christine made hers this morning. <laughs> Before. What does yours look like? Kind of a barf. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a like hodgepodge of just stuff. Oh, yours is like super thick. Mine was like soupy. I thickened mine with cornstarch. So did I. Do that? Oh, you did. Yeah, I did, and it it didn't thicken very much at all. Hmm. Well, did you make the dumplings? Yes. Hmm. Weird. Did you use like a big cast iron? Um, I used my Dutch oven. I wonder if you shouldn't have as much um, surface area for like boiling off water. So possibly what happened is because I, I guess I could have used my 12 inch cast iron um, instead of my Dutch oven, but because the sides were higher and when I put my chicken in, maybe I needed more water than was necessary to cover the chicken maybe. because it was, you know, tall instead of wide. Okay. So my first impression here is that it tastes like the over, like massively overwhelming flavor is caraway. Oh, I didn't have any caraway. I couldn't find it. So Mm. I didn't put any in there. It's probably better without caraway. I am not a fan of caraway. I don't Um, mind it in certain things. It's just too like licorice-y for me. Yeah. And so... I don't love the caraway flavor. The dumplings are strange to me because they are just oh. flour and egg. We did not like the dumplings at all. Weird. I'm yeah, worried well, about egg anyway. But like Yeah, but it was just like I I had to add more flour than what they said to add because it was so liquidy that I like had to add more flour and they just kind of came out dense and not great. I didn't like See, them. that that's what it said though. It said I had to have just the consistency of like yogurt um but it otherwise was otherwise it would get too hard i know but i feel like that's what i did i mixed it in until the yogurt but it i added a lot because it was like literally egg liquid with the four tablespoons of yeah well that's what i did and it was very soupy but they cooked up and they i mean they're tender okay. like they're they're tender delicate dumplings um i just it's 
it's just like I'm eating. I don't know. Like the egg, the egg flavor is too strong for me. It just tastes like yeah. It's got the consistency of a dumpling with the flavor of an egg. Yeah. Um. I mean the the chicken is fine. The chicken, like the texture of the chicken, is nice. Yeah. Um. I think if it weren't for the caraway, I would like it a little more. I'm trying to figure out though, like. I feel like whenever I see pictures of paprikash, it's always like a lot redder. Yes. And it's more of like a sauce where yeah. I don't feel like I have a sauce. I feel like I just have a collection of like onions. See, and mine was like soup. Yeah. So, and, and it wasn't red. It was like a lightish somewhat color. I don't know. It was not yeah. very red. It's not red. Um, so I wonder, I don't know. I did, I will say that I made chicken paprikash earlier this year with a different recipe and that recipe was just not good. Um, this recipe, the way it was written was confusing and it left out. I agree completely. Yeah. It didn't say how much of certain things to add. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't recommend this recipe. I think it would be good without the caraway though. Like the sauce Mm -hmm. would have a, a decent flavor. Yeah, I think I think maybe I did add too much water and that it diluted the flavor a lot. Yeah. Also, we can't eat onions in my house, so I couldn't add that in there. So yeah. I kept saying, you know, we just we just didn't have enough base flavoring because I didn't have the caraway and I couldn't put the onions in and and stuff. So I think that that kind of messed up mine. That's probably true because after I um, like like sauteed the chicken. And then took it out and put the onions and stuff in. It smelled really good. And I felt yeah. like I had a good, like, flavor base happening. And then the caraway just ruined it. Like, I could, <laughs> I could tell when I put it in. I, like, I added the paprika and I was like, this smells really good. And then I put the caraway in there and I was like, nope, now it's just caraway. So yeah. <laughs> it wrecked it. Okay, so um, for time, Ashley is going to tell us our rating. Okay, for time, we are going to award the baguette. Um, just because there's not like a whole lot of fancy stuff you got to do. You just have to wait for a long time because you have to get the water to a boil. You have to then let the chicken cook for 20 or 30 minutes. And then you have to like take them out and then you have to cook the dumplings for another like 10 minutes. And then you have to put the chicken back in. And like, there's just, it's just a lot of like time on the stove. Um, so it's not something that you can just whip up in five minutes, you know. It's hands-on time, too. There's not a lot of time where you can just leave it and go do something yeah. else. Yeah. Okay. And then for ease, uh, we are also awarding de baguette. And this is kind of for the same reason. Like, any recipes to me where you have to be taking stuff out of the pan, putting it back in, taking it out again, is just a hassle. And it like, and I feel, like, complicated. And sometimes it's necessary but it's like, it's just not something I want to spend all my time doing. I'm only going to do that for yeah. like special occasions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then Ashley's going to give us our rating for flavor. Wait, okay. taste? What do we taste. call this? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Taste, flavor, same thing. Taste, flavor. <laughs> okay. So for taste, we are also awarding de baguette. So this is just like a solid two recipe for us. Um. We we kind of already talked about the flavor. Um, we just feel like there could have been like maybe a little bit more flavor base. I feel like it came out a little bland. We didn't love the noodles or the dumplings. Um, super 
they weren't super great, but the chicken was pretty decent. You know, it came out tender and nice texture and everything. So overall, I will give it a two. Although Noah would be very upset because the whole time we were eating it, he was like, this is amazing. You need to make this again. And we were just like, what? Okay. <laughs> but then, But then I asked him if I saved it for like leftovers if he would eat it and he was like probably not <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> so we saved awesome. the rest of the chicken for todd the dog <laughs> oh puppy i'm sure he liked it no oh complaints. yeah he did no complaints all right um well that's all we've got for uh dracula and for our spooky season episodes so if you'd like to see uh, recipes and pictures of the food that we made, you can join us on our socials. Um, you can join us on Twitter at The Bitten Pod or on Instagram with The Bitten Word Podcast. You can also email us with um, anything you want. Suggestions, comments, um, pictures vampires. of you made. Yes, who your favorite sexy vampire is. Now I, I need to about know. Adam, Adam Sandler. <laughs> Does that count? Because he was just a voice. Well, but the, but, you know, drag. I mean, I guess he is a cinematic vampire. <laughs> so yeah. Is Adam Sandler the sexiest vampire in cinema? Let us know. Um, you can email us at thebittenwordpodcast at gmail.com. If you are so inclined and you are liking our podcast, take a second to rate and review on Apple Podcasts so other people can find us um, and tell your friends. Um, yeah, anybody who we, enjoys eating or reading. You know, the tens of people who listen to us uh, yes. enjoy us very much. So <laughs> maybe yes. there are other tens of people out there who might like us. All 18 of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then be sure to join us next week. We're going to be talking about the patient and we're going to be making pastizio. Which is kind of like an almost extension of our spooky season, but not quite. Because it's more like tense than it is spooky, I guess. <laughs> um. Join us for thriller episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I said next week. It's not next week. It's in two weeks because two that's weeks. our new format. November. Um, so join us in November for that. And if you've never had pastizio, you're in for a treat. Yes, you are. If you make it, <laughs> that is. <laughs> <laughs> Please make it. Make it. So anyway, until then. Happy reading and I want to suck your blood. 